I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's up, everybody? Happy Wednesday. We're going to skip past the last game. The Celtics Pod guys have covered that quite in depth at this point. So myself and Mr. Brendan Nunes are going to cast an eye forwards towards the offseason. Brendan's in his new swanky Sacramento pad, living the best life. Brendan, is it sunny? It is. It's uh, way too hot. There was a crazy heat wave, I think, throughout all of California this uh, last month plus, and I thought it was over and went outside at like 9 a.m. this morning, and it was already way too damn hot. Flexing, dude. Flexing on it's hard, dude. No, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. Dude, it's I'm been like it. 21 degrees here, dude. I'm, I'm wow. cold. Wow. Yeah, it's been cold. I'd, I'd trade you right now, though. You say that, dude, until you get here, and then you're like, dude, I want to switch back real quick. Maybe, maybe. But anyway, <laughs> we've spoken enough about us. Let's speak about the Celtics. That's why we're here. That's what people are listening for. They don't care what's really going on with us. Or at least, I hope you care a little bit, just a little bit. At least pretend to, you know? Yeah, like, we're your friends at this point. Right. And, you know, some people might feel like they're friends with some of these players that are on the roster, and... Celtics probably bringing back a lot of the same core guys, but I think the plan today is kind of go through the the roster sheet and really key in on the guys that probably will not be here next year and how much of a loss we think that is or if the Celtics could should consider bringing them uh, back, right? Yeah, I mean, I went through some of this on my newsletter, um, so go check that out. I've also gone through some of it on Celtics blog along with, I think Keith's done a little bit for it as well. And I'm assuming he's going to go a, little, a lot deeper. But let's start off with Shemi because Shemi's kind of the guy for me that nobody really cares if he stays. Nobody really cares if he goes. But his presence is felt when he's actually playing well on the floor. And then his presence isn't felt at all when he's not playing well. He's the ultimate what type of night is he going to have, Guy? He is, as far as I'm aware, an unrestricted free agent that can be turned into a restricted free agent with a qualifying offer. I'm almost certain of this. Brendan's looking at the screen now to confirm my hypothesis. Um, I see. I think there might be a team option on one more year. Oh, yeah, you're right, because he's on his rookie contract. Yeah, so there'll be a qualifying offer. If that's not extended, then he becomes um, an unrestricted free agent. If the qualifying offer does get extended, then he's a restricted free agent at that point, meaning that the team, some people can still offer him a bigger contract and it's up to Boston to match. What do you think? Do you think they even extend that qualifying offer? I don't know. Like, I don't think Shemi's important, to, to be blunt about it. Uh, you know, I mean, what, 14 minutes on the year per game, with, I mean, obviously you're not putting him out there to score. It's mainly defense, but I think that, yeah, I mean, like you try to, he was a specialist and, you know, for these big, strong dudes, like a Giannis, obviously that we saw, or um, I'm trying to think of some other burly guys. Like, I guess you could try LeBron minutes, but like, I, I just don't think that what he did was, was good enough to, justify like needing to bring him back with 40% from the field, like 37% from three. I'm actually surprised to see that he shot that well from three this year, but he still doesn't have like the gravity and respect to supply a lot of spacing. Um, he doesn't get to the line very often. He's just extremely limited on both ends. The best part of him honestly is probably his full name of what is it? Jesus Malore. 
Um, absolutely phenomenal name. But I, yeah, I mean, the Celtics have a lot of picks that they're moving forward with in this upcoming draft, uh, 14, 26, and 30. Like, to me, you can get a Shemi replacement that'll have a higher ceiling and probably contribute just as many minutes. And even if you don't, right out the gate, like Romeo Langford could fill in those Shemi minutes, assuming that he stays healthy. Um, Grant Williams could probably fill some Shemi minutes because Shemi played a lot at the four. I personally do not think that like Shemi should be a priority to bring back. I honestly think you let him walk and don't really blink about it. Yeah, I mean, look, you said he's a specialist, but the problem is he's not special. He doesn't do anything. <laughs> the problem is for me, he doesn't do anything spectacular. He's very inconsistent is probably the nicest way of putting it with his three-point shot. His dribble isn't great. He doesn't drive because he doesn't have the handle necessary, so you don't see him finishing around the room too much. His defense is okay, I guess. Like I mean, on ball, point, that's it, right? Yeah, dude, he'll get put in a blender, dude. Off ball, he can really lose his rotate. On ball as well, the problem is that he's really good posting up guys and playing that physical D, but when it's more nuanced on ball defense and it's hedging your guy to his weaker side, pushing him off that pick and roll or doing anything that, in quite, that requires like a rudimentary level of basketball IQ, for me, he just doesn't cut the mustard. So I wouldn't be shocked if they look to move on from Shemi. There's a roster crunch coming into this offseason. Roster spaces are going to be a premium. And I just don't, I think that if Shemi was integral to the team, then he would have had more of an impact on the roster going down the stretch, especially against Miami when they were looking to slow some guys down. Sorry, I was doing some Houston research earlier. But this is the problem. He's just not capable of doing what the Celtics need. The Celtics need a, a legit free and D wing guy that can come on, hit his freezer, a very consistent clip, and lock up the, te- the opposing team's third option off the bench if you can do that and then you can you know you can slide up and slide down a little bit and offer some solid minutes there's going to be a role for you on this team Shemi has not shown he can do that yeah like you said I mean he's a defender and he is limited defensively and he's about to be 26 like there's room to improve from there don't get me wrong I just don't see a path to Shemi becoming a seventh eighth guy on what the Celtics are trying to be a championship roster and it's interesting actually this is making me want to write something on this later but I think a lot of the guys we're going to go through today could be replaced through the draft with with all the picks that Boston has working with um and yeah I mean even like it doesn't have to be pick 14 that you replace Shemi with you could replace it with him with who you're getting at 26 30 um I don't remember yeah Shemi was the 37th pick in the draft and you just kind of slid by on a good deal with this rookie contract, you know, only getting paid uh, 1.6 million last year. And there's just going to be another guy probably a little higher up that I think you select in the draft. Um, I guess there's okay guys. You could look at spending the MLE on like, but I don't know, like you're just looking for really some backup wing, like, you know, Mo Harkless could be interesting, I guess. But like the point being, there's better options. To me, Shemi's gone and I, I don't really care too much about it. Um, I don't know if you have anything else on him or who you want to move on to next year. I mean, I just want to see whether you think he's going to find somewhere else in the league. 
I think someone will pick him up. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's going to be a bench piece. Like I think that some, I, I don't know, could like a Orlando that feels like, does he, does he get a place th- keeping this like Giannis? He's not a Giannis stopper, but he's good at being part of that wall, right? For Giannis. So yeah, short, short answer. Yes. I don't know exactly where, but I think he'll end up being eighth, ninth guy on a rotation somewhere. So the next guy that everybody's going to want to hear about, we're going to save the biggest name till last as well, guys. So the next name that I want to talk about is Brad Wanamaker. Mm-hmm. And remind me how, how you felt about Wanamaker throughout this year, because I think you were a little up and down on him throughout portions, right? Oh, yeah, completely. Um, I started quite high on him. I thought to myself, like, you know, cheap contract, older head, been around all of Europe, playing exceptionally well in Europe, comes to the NBA, realizes his dream and plays within the system, wants to earn his minutes the right way, wants to play the game the right way. And then we got to certain points in the season where it was very much Wanamaker's on the fast break. He's either going to finish the layup or he's going to turn the ball over. There is no third option. And that was incredibly frustrating. And then I kind of yo-yoed between those two for a while. And then his play throughout the playoffs was nothing short of consistent. At certain points, it was stellar for a player of his caliber. He was definitely outperforming his role for certain stretches through the playoffs. I do feel like you get a lot of consistency with Wanamaker. You know, he's always looking to make that right pass, that right read. And if it's not the fast break, then he's usually making those right passes and right reads. My problem for him is the ceiling. I don't think he's got, there is no, his ceiling is where he is right now. He's not going to get any better. In fact, to be quite fair, he's probably going to start declining at some point quite soon due to his age. So the timelines don't fit. I understand that Kemba Walker's referred to him as one of the, the locker room leaders. I don't know how valuable that is considering I want a locker room leader to be a vet that's had a, a championship. I want my, if I, if I could choose, then the locker room leader would be a championship winning vet. Sort of like what Miami did when they went and pulled in Iguodala. You know, you go and pull a guy in like that, that knows how to win titles, knows what it needs, what needs to be said in the locker room to focus your guys. Having a journeyman who's only really playing his first full season of proper minutes in the league as one of your locker room leaders, I don't know how valuable that is, which is why I don't know whether or not he'll be back next season. For me, what it comes down to, like to start, like what you said, you know, he was really good in the playoffs. When Gordon wasn't there, he was the sixth man on this roster. But that kind of spoke more to the lack of depth to the Celtics more than how good Wanamaker was himself. Not to take anything away from him, I think he was good. I think he could be a backup point guard in the league. But I don't think that you have to pay him like if some team really likes him and is willing to pay him three four million a year like there's just no way Boston should do that I think he's super replaceable is what it comes down to like tell me that for example um Bryn Forbes couldn't couldn't do that job DJ Augustine could not do that job you could have Garrett Temple or like Alfred Payton do that sort of job because he doesn't need to be a primary ball handler. You saw Wanamaker working off the ball a lot throughout the year. And again, to come back to the draft, I think that one of the best things that's going to be available for Boston in this draft is either a point guard that eventually takes over the starting spot for Kemba Walker. 
um, that just gets to kind of like mold himself in this backup role for the three more years that Kemba is there and learn from Kemba and get better on the timeline of Jalen and, J- and Jason. And it's either that or you're just getting a backup point guard that could last for throughout his entire rookie deal. And, and if you like him enough, you extend him through that rookie extension as well. Um, I think that, uh, again, I'm probably going to come back to it a lot because Boston has so many draft picks they're working with. And I think that while they do need some vets, that you'll, you'll get some of that in free agency. But like a, there's some backup point guards in this draft or potential starting guys down the line that I think will be available to them. I'm mainly thinking of Tyrese Maxey and Kyra Lewis Jr., the two guys that I really like. Um, that I think could be available for Boston and you would 100% prefer those guys that like you're saying have potential to them that Wanamaker just clearly does not Um, and yeah so I think that Wanamaker you you let him walk you don't really think about it you know a couple years ago you had Shane Larkin you brought over that played this backup point guard role it's kind of the Jonathan Simmons thing that you heard when San Antonio got him out of the G League or wherever they ended up finding him from undrafted, I believe it was, it was you don't re-sign Jonathan Simmons, you go find the next one. And I think that's kind of where I'm at with Wanamaker. Yeah, for sure. Like you say, it's going to be the lack of, the lack of developmental progress that this guy can make. The fact that there's going to be multiple nice guards. I mean, is, is Ritter a guard? I think Riddler's a guard as yeah, well. Yeah, Riddler's an interesting one. He's on the older side, so if you're looking for just a contributor right away. Um, yeah, I mean, even if you don't get – the two guys I mentioned were 14, but, yeah, 26, 30. Like, yeah, like you said, Riddler, there's Trey Jones. I really like – he's pretty much Tyus Jones, who I think is a really solid backup point guard in the league. There's a lot of point guards that are going to be available in this draft. Yeah, there's I mean, a lot look, of depth like, there. Kira Lewis Jr. is my number one guy that I want the Celtics to draft if they're drafting a guard just because I feel like his pace would be everything that Celtic second unit has been missing, the penetration that he could offer coming off the bench, the way that he'd be a problem for teams to pick up off the pick and roll due to that change of pace would be everything that that second unit has been missing all season. If they went for that more reliable option, then Ritter is a great piece that they could add. But what we're saying is there's guys around the league that you can go and take a look at in a DJ Augustine or a, I don't know who else I'd like. I mean, I mean, is Isaiah Derek Thomas Harris? crazy to say? Yeah, I think that's a bit too far at this point. It might point. be. Uh, but like Alfred Payton. Um, hmm, I mean, if you really want a vet, if you want to go for a non-scalable in terms of development, you go and try and pick up a Derek Rose. But right. I, just I mean, don't... is like Rondo, you know, I don't know if he comes back. Yeah, like a swan song, a swan song to end his career in Boston. Right. I mean, he's shown Moody he's still serviceable. Yeah, Moody I'd prefer, and McConnell. I prefer Peyton over Moody, personally. Mm-hmm. And, and I probably like Wanamaker a little better than some of these guys. So, Oh, yeah, of course. We're not saying every guy here is an option. Yeah, but it just comes down to how much you're paying. Like, I don't, again, Wanamaker's not a difference maker to me. The issue was that you didn't have anybody on your bench and that, like, you felt like could play. And I think that there will be guys that are able to step into that role uh, more so next year, probably through the draft. And yeah, to me, the backup point guard role is going to get filled through the draft if it's not just kind of Marcus already. Yeah, and I mean, you want somebody playing alongside Marcus. Ideally, you want Marcus reining in his shooting and you want him focusing on defense. So then you're going to want 
a guy that can shoot, that can play off ball because of Marcus's playmaking ability. And then you're going to want somebody that can catch and shoot or penetrate off the dribble. And you want, you want someone like that that's going to compliment Marcus, not somebody like Wanamaker that also requires the ball in his hand to be at his most effective because then you're kind of jockeying for, for usage and you're jockeying for touches. And that's not conducive to a winning second unit. When we talk about a winning second unit, one guy that has produced as much as people have kind of killed him for defense on offense and on the glass, he's really been solid, has a player option. So I'm expecting him to take that option up is Mr. Ennis Kanta. I mean, I've been happy with his production for, for a shade over $5 million. What more are you expecting from the guy? he's come in and he's been a specialist and he's been special at what he does as a specialist and that's grab boards. Second chance opportunities, offensive rebounds, defensive rebounds. He's gave the team a presence on the glass and he's gave them an an outlet down on the low block. I probably haven't seen this many post-entry passes from um, a Celtics team in quite a few seasons, to be honest, because of the work that Cantor can get done down on that block and his old school post moves. Look, for the money he's on, I'm happy if he re-signs. I feel like he's a solid guy in a big man rotation. Yeah, I think you're higher on Cantor than I am, but I don't hate it, I guess. Like, I, I just think he gets played off the floor every time he's out there defensively. But like you're saying, in, in specialty roles that... Brad Stevens is really good at, like you said, for Shemi, he's a special, specialist that didn't actually have a specialty. Cantor clearly does, like the rebounding you pointed out and the putbacks and second chance points that he's getting you there. There are other guys I probably would like better, like, for example, like a Kavon Looney, or if you could make a move for like a Rashawn Holmes. I think that Jamichael Green and Robin Lopez are probably like better backup bigs. There's just guys that I like better that might be a little bit of a personal preference, even like. I mean, bringing back Aaron Baines, like it's not really going to happen because Cantor is going to pick up that option in my mind. Um, I don't think he has 5 million out there um, from the teams that have cap space that a lot of them are rebuilding. Cantor probably doesn't make much sense. So I think he's likely back. I'm not super happy about it. I wish he didn't have this player option and that you could move on from him because I think that like, I think this is kind of what you're saying, but like he's not even necessarily your, backup center like he's some games some games but he's kind of like your third center or like if you have a 1a or you have a a one center you're starting one and then you kind of have like a 2a 2b and Cantor's one of those guys and I don't feel great about that at five million dollars but it's not the worst thing um I I feel like he picks up the con the the offer and Boston does need to look at another guy in that center rotation because I don't feel great about him being like your sole backup center, but yeah, he gave you okay minutes. And I think that the key is that Brad is good about knowing when to put him out there. Yeah. I mean, look, I wasn't happy about the entire rotation of like, having multiple big men kind of do this hockey rotation, but then about four or five days ago, I read an article from Kevin O'Connor talking about the state of the league in terms of big men for the ringer. And the, tagline of it was big men either be special or be a specialist and he actually touched on like unless you have a guy like a Carl anthony towns or an anthony davis or a bam 
then what teams need to do is look at the way Boston have done it and have multiple big men that can do one thing exceptionally well and then plug and play in your rotation depending on matchups. And it makes sense with a guy like Bam or a guy like AD, not so much Carl Anthony Towns because you only get one side of the floor with him currently. So with a guy like, um, say, AD, you're going to get glass dominance. You're going to get passing. You're going to get rebounding. You're going to get a pick and roll threat. You're going to get deep scoring. You can't do that on the Celtics. So what you do is you say, right, we have Cantor for the glass protection and rim protection. Anything else, you know, if he's playing drop, he's fine. Anything else, get him off the floor. We have Rob Williams for the realistically for the rim protection, the rim running, the lab threat, the vertical spacing. And then you have Daniel Tice for the more nuanced side of the game, the slip and roll screens that seal down on the driving lane, the floor stretching ability that hasn't really shown itself to be too true at the moment. That's my one knock on Daniel Tice is his reluctance to shoot threes. I'll see a free open up for him and then he'll rather instigate a dribble handoff rather than just pull the trigger on a wide open free. I'd like to see that change. But it makes sense to have multiple bigs in a rotation that give you something different from each other. So I'm happy if he stays. If he leaves, then that's cool. Um, my outlook on it is that if Cantor is to not be in Celtics green, it's because the Celtics wait for him to re-sign or sorry, to opt in and then they look to flip him. That would be the only way I can see Cantor leave in Boston at the moment. If they do do that, then I'm curious to see who they bring back. The next guy, um, am I missing anybody now? So we've done Brad Wanamaker, we've done Shemi Ojale, we've done Ennis Cantor. I mean, do you want to talk about Gordon Hayward? Like he's just that picking up the, the option, one, right? Yeah, I mean, he's picking up the option, but I feel like we need, to address the, we need to address the elephant in the room, dude. We can't talk about off-season players that could leave without addressing this elephant. I just wanted to make sure no smaller name guy had been missed. Mm-hmm. No, uh, I think you're all good. I think that we can mention, you know, like nobody's going anywhere, but I think, yeah, let's talk about Gordon and then maybe we'll mention like what we think the increased roles for some of the rookies or really young guys on the rosters might be next year quickly. Um, for Gordon though, yeah, I mean, we said it, 34 million. I don't know who is paying him that um i don't think that like new york should do that i don't think atlanta should do that um there's there's no teams that it makes sense for in my mind again the teams with money are rebuilding teams Gordon doesn't fit there and it's 34 million dollars he's just not gonna get that anywhere else with the injury history that he's had and it's a lot of money don't get me wrong but like gordon does play at a near all-star level, um, assuming that he can stay healthy. And he did a pretty good job of that throughout this year. You know, he still um, did end up playing in, I'm uh, pulling it up exactly here, 52 games when it was a shortened season is still, it's not bad for a guy that, you know, was recovering as well. So they gave him a couple rest days here and there as well. Um, So yeah, I mean, it's a lot of money, and I don't think there's any denying that he's overpaid, but it's one more year of it. It's not hurting your books that bad. It doesn't make sense to, like, ship him out to shed this contract or anything with how top-heavy this roster is. I mean, he can be the third-best player on this team. I mean, just to, first of all, premise this, 
if Gordon Hayward walks, that cap space does not free up because it's taken up from Jalen Brown's contract extension kicking in. So Gordon Hayward leaving does not provide the Celtics with any cap space whatsoever. They're just as bad financially with or without him, except in terms of player personnel, their chances of winning anything tangible dramatically decrease the minute that Hayward leaves. So everybody's saying that, you know, he's overpaid. Yeah, he is, but he's also earning that money because his presence on the roster when healthy, and that's a big when, I understand that, but his presence on this team when healthy elevates them to a championship contender status, depending on the bench unit, which is why I feel like changes are required on the bench, on the fringe, rather than down in the, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Down in the... Sort of the top of the roster. Yeah, I was looking for a certain word. Trenches, there we go. Tren- trenches. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I, I mean, look, man, the dude, sorry, go ahead, Brendan. No, you're good. I mean, yeah, I, I think we're probably just going to say the same thing. He's a, he's a really good player and he, he's going to contribute to what is still a team that has championship aspirations right now. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that worries me is the foot, the fact that the foot bothers him and he doesn't understand why the doctors don't understand why is that going to be manageable? Is it going to be something that means that there's load management? Can, and then it becomes down to can the Celtics manage him enough and well enough that injuries start to become a thing of the past and you just know that hey Hayward's going to play 55 games during the regular season but he, that, that means come the playoffs he's going to be ready to go full pace all the way through now I, I don't know about you but I'm happy to see Hayward play a reduced role in the regular season due to low management if it means you get a full head of steam Gordon Hayward ready to go in the playoffs you just don't let him play early in the season as much and then ramp him up as the season starts to head towards the postseason. Yeah, definitely with you there. Um, obviously, it'd be nice to get a little more run from him in the regular season just to kind of let him get that groove and confidence back in, in his own health and play. But, yeah, I'm with you. And I think that it, it's only one more year of it. it. It's a really important thing to know, obviously. And, you know, there's a chance he doesn't come back the year after when, when they really start to get young with this roster – um, at least that's my my thought on the direction they'll end up taking this. And, yeah, I think that that's really all I have for Gordon. Like, it's pretty straightforward. He's going to be back. And if you want to touch on maybe some of these young guys a little bit, like how do you think that the role of Grant Williams and Romeo Lankford, Robert Williams increases if it do, if you think it does next going into next year? Yeah, so look, I'm writing something about this in the moment. It should be out on f- what day is it tomorrow? It's Wednesday. So it should be out the day you're listening to this, hopefully, uh, about these three guys specifically. So Grant Williams, I'm expecting his role to kind of increase a little bit, but I feel like what you see from Grant is what you're going to get. Um, definition of a glue guy already in his first year is shown that he's definitely a locker room presence. Keeps spirits up, always cheering for everybody else. Defensively, he's solid. I feel like he could get a little bit quicker with reading his rotations off Paul. But like that's nitpicking. Like, I feel like defensively he's been really, really reliable. Not to interrupt you, but like he did a really good job against Bam actually in that last game. Yeah, he did. This is the thing, dude. Like for a rookie, he's he's basketball IQs off the charts for where he was selected, I should say. Um, I feel like yeah, definitely a little bit more of his off ball rotations could get sharpened up, but that's just gonna come with time as the game slows down. Offensively we saw his free ball start to fall with consistency. If you can take that through into the start of next season, you should see him 
kind of, I don't feel like he'll be battling with Ojale for those minutes anymore. I feel like he's going to consume all of those minutes. So I'm expecting an extra maybe three to five minutes a game for him. Um, and I'm expecting him to be a reliable 3 and D guy. And if that's, I tweeted this out a while ago. Grant Williams is everything that we hoped Shemi Ojale would be. And he's everything we hoped Yabusele would be. Um, I've got nothing more to say. I expect him to have a prominent bench role. Yeah, I'm definitely with you there. I think he's a guy that definitely breaks into at least the regular season rotation. And I think that, you know, already seeing him get some run in the playoffs is is pretty telling. But yeah, I think that he really breaks into the rotation. And then the hope would also be, by the way, we didn't mention Poirier, but that's because he's still on contract next season um, and kind of just someone to gloss over. You know, we saw the minutes he got this year. I think it's probably going to be the same. Um, Robert Williams, I would... I think this is kind of a make or break a year for him. I mean, it's obviously going into the year where um, he could become a restricted free agent the year after that. So this is where he would look to make his money. And he sort of became the swing guy for Boston, at least in some people's minds of like moving forward. I think that, you know, the idea would be he has a pretty good year and then you're able to keep him around for cancer type money for say three or four more years after that. So this is a really make or break year for him. And as long as he stays healthy, I think he's going to get a lot of opportunity for that reason. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is as well, he's flashed a very basic level of a mid range jumper. He's flashed some ability to play make out of the short role and some passing ability. If he can put all of that together and then kind of stay healthy, become consistent within his role and continue to offer that vertical spacing, but show that his game is scalable on multiple different aspects and through multiple different avenues, then it will force the Celtics hand to offer some form of contract because they can see where his development is going. And then it's all about staying on the floor to push your development down that way. So I expect him to stay Romeo Langford real quick. I expect him to stay. I, I do expect to see more from him. Obviously, the injuries these year have kind of got people thinking he might be a bust, made of glass. Um, when he has been on the floor, I think he's shown some good on ball defense, very active. Not, it's a lot more effort than it is technical ability on the defensive end, but sometimes that's enough to win guys over and win you minutes. And offensively, he needs to learn to finish through contact. He needs to learn that when you beat a guy off the dribble, then you go hard. And he needs some um, confidence in that jump shot because that jump shot you can tell isn't the jump shot he had from college. Uh, He isn't confident in it falling. And I'd expect him to put a lot of work into that as soon as possible. Yeah. He had that finger injury in college. And, and I'll say like, if somebody, I don't know if I'd label someone a bust because of injuries, you know, I think that people are too quick to do that. And that's just something that you can't predict amazingly, unless you're talking like a Michael Porter Jr. Sort of situation, uh, Harry Giles, something like that, where they just have repeated of the same injuries and Romeo. I just don't think that that's that, that hasn't been the case so far. And yeah, I would think that he's going to be the biggest benefactor of this whole, like the game slowing down for you because he is a player that I think plays at his own pace and doesn't let people rush him. But in his rookie year, that was a little difficult to do at times, um, understandably. So I think that he will just getting some reps in and understanding the game a little bit better, being able to read defenses and understanding how they're going to react to certain moves that he may make. I think that he showed good, good flashes defensively. He showed good flashes 
attacking closeouts. As long as he can hit a shot, he has some nice finishing around the rim. Um, like you said, he needs to do it through contract, contact. I think there's a path for Romeo to be the sixth man of this team, not next year, but over time. And I think that he'll end up with a lot of reps for that next year. I think that you're going to see a bit younger of a Celtics team next year. Like I think that all the draft picks that they got last year and all the draft picks, I would assume they don't keep all of them, but all the draft picks that they move forward with um, after selecting in the 2020 draft, you're going to see a lot younger of a Celtics team. And I think that means Romeo gets some minutes. Carson Edwards, we can gloss over really quickly. It's probably G League minutes to me. Like I think you get spotty NBA minutes, but he he's another specialist, right? It isn't special right now. I right. feel like, look, man, I feel like Carson Edwards is one of those guys that if he figures it out, he'll have a decent position, a decent role off the bench as like a eighth or ninth man to just come in and really be your sharpshooter. I've said this for a few podcasts now. If he was a little bit bigger, like in terms of height and could play the two guard, that position would suit him far more where he could just catch the ball and shoot in rhythm rather than having to find his own shots and pick his spots on the floor while in possession. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, rolling him out at two guard is going to get you absolutely tormented if you roll him back on defense at that way too. So it's not really possible. And for that, I just don't see how, if he doesn't figure out how to score, if he doesn't spend the offseason working with guys like Isaiah Thomas and picking... You know, pick up the phone, call Muggsy Bogues, pick up, you know, get on the phone to these smaller guys that have had success. Phil Pressy's playing, still playing out in Europe, ex-Celtic. You know, he knew how to get to the hoop. He knew how to work it. Pick up the phone and start working with players that have had to d- deal with these hurdles. And I get it. He's not Tremont Waters size, but Carson Edwards is still a smaller guard. So you need to be speaking with guys around the league that are, have that same issue and working out with them and picking up a few... T- tips of the trade to get yourself open and get those looks where you're not rushing them because at the minute whenever I see him in possession he's playing at 100% every second of the game and that's not conducive to finding good shots right I don't think that um, like for example compared to Tremont Tremont's like an actual cerebral player I think he's insanely smart on both ends of the floor and I think that there's an easier path for guys that size to to make it like I struggle to see who in the NBA right now is, is this Carson Edwards player? Like, is it, is it Quinn cook? Is it JJ Barea? Um, like it's really hard to find some of these guys. Is it like Trey Burke, Alonzo Trier and, and all these guys that I'm talking about are third string point guards. And I kind of think that that is, it's probably too e- too early to call a ceiling for Carson. I'm probably being very premature doing this, but like, that's kind of where I'm at with him. And, and in regards to Tremont, I could see him as a backup point guard. I don't think he's a great backup point guard because of that size, but like I think he's so smart where he could fill a role of more of a Monty Morris sort of situation or a um, – trying to pull up some better names here. Um, I, I think that there's smarter players that he could fit in with, even though he is on that smaller side. I think that just being a pesky defender in the way that like you see Fred Van Fleet, not tall, but since he's such a smart defender is very capable on that end. I think that, you know what the best case scenario for Carson, I guess is Devontae Graham, uh, I guess, but it's a stretch, you know, like, yeah. Anyways, I think that Carson is still, 
your third string point guard at best next year. Might even be your fourth string point guard. He might start. On, he's probably again a, a G League guy to me. Yeah, at this point, if he's with the team and he comes on in garbage time, if he's played the way he has this season, then he's lucky to get those minutes. Um, I'm quite low on him. I was super high. If you go back to the beginning of the season, any podcast I was on, I was over the moon with Carson Edwards. That died rather quickly, unfortunately, and I'm more sad about that than anybody. Yeah, but, you know, running back a lot of the same roster next season, and I feel pretty good about it. You know, you're going to have improvement from Jason and Jalen, and there's really obvious improvement paths for them. I think that we could probably do that on an episode. Um, But, yeah, I think that's going to do it for this one, right, man? Yeah, man, we're done, guys. So you enjoy your Wednesday. We'll be back on Friday. There's a post up on Celtics blog because we're doing a mailbag episode. So head over there, drop your questions in the comments. Alternatively, you can drop them in my tweet on Twitter, evidently, because that's where tweets are. Or you can DM myself or Brendan at Adam Taylor NBA or at Brendan Nunez NBA on Twitter or Instagram. And we'll be answering as many of those as we can come Friday. Say bye, Brendan. Peace.